Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research, and today we'll be recapping our first event of the year, Cyberscape Insider Threats, which was held last Thursday at the Archer Hotel in Tysons, Virginia. With me to undertake this massive feat of review is Deputy Editor Kate Macri, Senior Researcher Sarah Seibert, and Staff Writer Researchers Anastasia Obis and Nikki Henderson. Welcome, everyone. Hi, Alex. Hey, Alex. Hey, Alex. Hi there, Alex. Cyberscape Insider Threats, our first event of the year, and what a doozy it was. We were joined by leaders from the White House, NASA, and the Department of Defense, State, Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, and Veterans Affairs to discuss topics like hybrid cloud security, reducing technical debt, and shadow IT. There was breakfast, chit-chat, and our first ever award ceremony. Before we unpack all of that, do we want to start with some top-line takeaways from the event? So one pretty cool thing that happened yesterday was the White House released its national cybersecurity strategy, which we've been waiting for for quite a long time now. And we were lucky enough to have Assistant National Cyber Director for Technology Security, Anjana Rajan, who was able to talk about it a little bit. So I would say that was a pretty cool takeaway. Yeah, from my side of things on the first panel, which we'll dive into a full description in a minute, but I think it's interesting to watch how agencies are balancing security while also trying to increase speed. So it's not like one, oh, we just have to secure the data. It's like, oh, we have to secure the data and make sure people can get it faster. So it's like a two-pronged challenge that everyone's facing. So it was interesting to learn more about that. To echo what Sarah was saying, it's so interesting. And um, my panel was about shadow IT. It's the same thing. They're basically trying to get whatever capabilities that their agencies need fast, but also do it securely. And how do you balance that? Well, let's not wait around any longer. Let's start talking about the first panel which was reducing technical debt for stronger cyber defenses with zero trust. Sarah, you were the moderator on that panel. What was discussed? I was. I'll introduce the speakers first. So there was Aaron Bishop, who's the CISO for the Department of the Air Force, and Jason Burt, cybersecurity advisor with CISA. So they were talking about how their agencies are implementing new programs and services to secure critical data while balancing some of the more targeted modernization strategies with new security approaches like Zero Trust. So Jason Burt from CISA said that a lot of organizations are often underfunded and understaffed when it comes to the aging IT infrastructure. So it gets difficult when you try to patch it or update it. And then Aaron Bishop said that the Department of the Air Force has the largest footprint of facilities around the world in the Department of Defense. So he's responsible for what he calls 150 mini cities. So managing different airports, housing, food, sewer, utilities, and more around the world in addition to the IT systems and operational technologies. So he's not only focused on the cybersecurity aspects, but also the modernization of upkeep of these mini cities. 
So to ensure effective management, Bishop said he's focusing on data interoperability, as I mentioned earlier or alluded to. So the Air Force is turning to SD-WAN, which offers increased data rates, reduced latency and scalability to get the information into the right hands at the right time. The Air Force is also leading the Race to the Cloud program, which prioritizes modernization, financial efficacy, and improved visibility across all its missions, communities, and bases in both air and space. So this effort focuses on onboarding legacy systems to cloud instances to drive standardization, improve monitoring, and align with its zero trust roadmap. And then Bert from CISA outlined some of the no-cost cybersecurity services his agency offers that are aimed at maturing organizations' cyber postures, including its known exploited vulnerabilities catalog, cyber hygiene vulnerability scanning, NIST-based cybersecurity assessments, and more. But I'll let you tune into the articles or watch the videos on our website <laughs> to learn more about those. And then Bert said that CISA takes a two-pronged approach to its services, focusing on strategic and tactical offerings. And underpinning all of these areas and priorities is collaboration. Bert said that this is especially important as CISA defends against some of the threat actors that are targeting election systems and critical infrastructure. So that is my overview from my panel. I think the juxtaposition of user experience and cybersecurity is really interesting when we're talking about technical debt. I feel like that's one of the things that federal agencies really struggle with, and it's something that's kind of a big priority right now. You know, like you're trying to modernize to provide more accessible IT solutions. You know, you don't like this reminds me of the LinkedIn post from someone in DOD last year, I don't remember who it was, asking DOD to please fix our computers. And I feel like in a lot of ways that like LinkedIn post really kind of gets to the heart of this event, which is we need technology that works, but is also secure. And those two things cannot be, you have to have both. It's like a symbiotic like relationship and you need to have both or else you can't really accomplish the mission, whatever that is. And I feel like Sarah's panel was really kind of almost like dancing around like what that LinkedIn post talked about. Yeah, that's uh, the perfect transition to Anastasia's. I think that your speakers addressed exactly that. And like, because there's not a great user experience, <laughs> to put it bluntly, that's where the threat of shadow IT comes in. Yeah, it is a perfect transition indeed. Um, Alex? <laughs> no, I, I I didn't want to get in the way of like, wow, wait, wait, just throw it over and keep the conversation turning. I was going to make like a, a Star Wars joke about Threat of Shadow IT being my favorite prequel film. But no, let's just get into it. Anastasia. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead no, and joke. And then um, I'll talk about my panel. No, joke's been made. Let's just get right to it because Anastasia, this was your first time moderating a panel. How'd it go? Yeah, it was a great conversation. I sat down with Corey Seville. He is the technical director at the Hosting and Compute Center at DISA. Then Kenneth Rogers, he is State Department Director of Strategy Planning and Budget. 
and Scott Davis. He is the CISO for U.S. Customs and Border Protection. And yeah, we talked about shadow IT, and there is a lot of risk that comes with shadow IT. And to just reiterate what shadow IT is, it's when you use unauthorized software or device. And it's always been an issue. But with remote work, it really became a problem. And shadow IT leads to, of course, security risks, but also to high costs. And also, you just kind of lose control of your entire IT environment. And so we talked about how their respective agencies are working on closing that gap between shadow IT and official IT, why it happens in organizations and where the challenges lie. And my main takeaways from that conversation is that to reduce shadow IT, we need to figure out why your workers are creating their own thing, why they need what they need and why they go out of their way to like find something. And actually to understand what it is that they're using is a hard thing to do. Because like I said, um, shadow IT, it actually leads to loss of control over your inventory. But then also, how do you balance that? How do you balance providing something that your workers need and also providing it securely? So they were talking about how to balance that. Excellent. Uh, Sarah, Kate, Nikki, anything to add? I would just encourage our listeners to go back and listen to our Cybercast interview with Corey Seville because he gets into this a little bit and about how hybrid cloud isn't and hybrid cloud solutions aren't necessarily less secure than legacy IT infrastructure is really about how you how you manage it and how you manage people's access and how you configure code in the cloud. And it's a very deep dive. It's a long episode. I think it's one of our longest, right, Alex? I remember you complaining about the editing for that one. Oh, I, I wasn't complaining. I was simply pointing out that it was an episode full of great insight and conversation that took me absolutely forever to edit. Yes. Anyway, it's a great episode. So it provides a little more background, I think, to what Anastasia has been talking about here. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that Corey said you can actually improve user experience if you can identify the services or shadow IT that the users are bringing into the environment. So depending on what they're bringing in, that shows you where the gaps are and what government has to offer. So if you can fill those gaps, you could reduce the risk of shadow IT. But I think the difficulty is figuring out like Anastasia said, where those are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now that we move to remote work, it's such a huge challenge to even, where do you even start? How do you start figuring out what it is that people are using? So that in and of itself is a huge undertaking. And then once you identify that, that then it gets easier. Our next panel was our Addressing Hybrid Cloud Security Risks panel. Nikki, what was discussed during the panel? Well, um, there's a lot discussed. Unfortunately, I was not at the event and did not moderate the panel, but I watched it and it was, it was very engaging. It was interesting to hear how 
different agencies who are actually addressing hybrid cloud security risks. Um, our editor-in-chief, Amy Kluber, she actually moderated this panel and um, she had a very engaging conversation with Stacy Boschenik, Chief Defense Industrial Based uh, Cybersecurity at the uh, OCIO at DOD. She spoke with Michael Epley, the Chief Architect and Security Strategist um, at the public sector for Red Hat. And she also spoke with Joseph Fercade, the Lead Cybersecurity Analyst ES CEO at VA and Joe Foster, the cloud computing program manager at NASA. And Stacy, she talked about mainly just how um, more needs to be done overall to make agencies more cyber secure and protect their data. And a hot topic right now um, surrounding hybrid cloud is the Defense Department's cybersecurity maturity model certification, also known as CMMC, and it helps evaluate an organization's uh, cybersecurity best practices. And DOD is also uh, working with cloud service providers, Stacy was talking about, to help them develop cheaper or find a cheaper way uh, for them to guard their data and their cloud environments. So um, Michael Epley, at Red Hat, he also talked about his passion for zero trust and how he believes agencies should focus more on zero trust when handling their security across their different cloud environments. And he feels that it would help them um, manage those cloud environments more consistently and cohesively. Joseph at VA. He discussed like the importance of building security in the beginning of the move to hybrid cloud. He also uh, highlighted the importance of like vendor partnerships and when it comes to keeping data secure, he said that when they work with vendors um, on a regular basis and they have really good relationships with those vendors and they kind of welcome them in as like a part of their the VA team, the VA family, and they work side by side, uh, working to gain security visibility into their cloud environments and projects. And it also helps them uh, meet compliancy. So this was kind of exciting to hear um, from Joe Foster over at NASA. Uh, NASA currently uses a NIST risk management framework to better secure their cloud architecture, but now they are moving to another NIST uh, security platform, and he elaborated on this. It's called Open Source Control Assessment Language. He called it, referred to it as OSCAL, and it's helping NASA meet compliance. And he says that OSCAL will allow NASA to bake in compliance checks so they will no longer have that PDF system security plan. So that will be a big change for them and, and they're looking forward to that. And, and just in the end to round off the conversation, uh, Stacy emphasized um, to everyone at the event that it's very important for industry um, as well as everyone else to keep uh, security top of mind when it comes to hybrid cloud. She said, we need to be thinking ahead and being out in front of these threats and um, think about what that next possibility and fabric of what we could be attacked upon. And so she said, everyone needs to really, you know, try to take every step they can to protect 
ourselves, our data, our nation. So, and so my takeaway just from watching this, I just, you know, it's good to see that programs like CMMC, the NIST guidance, and just vendor partnerships overall are helping agencies actually reduce these security risks associated with hybrid cloud, but also, you know, while they reap the benefits of hybrid cloud. Thank you, Nikki. That was so wonderfully in-depth. You could have fooled me into thinking that you had moderated that panel. Do we have anything we want to add? I think the CMMC angle is interesting, especially because, you know, that's been such a fraught policy in DOD over the last couple of years. And I really admire uh, Stacey Bostjanik's determination to make it happen, but not only make it happen, make it happen in an accessible and user-friendly way. Like she understands that it's hard for, especially for small businesses to make this happen, but she's also, you know, she doesn't budge on the fact that you have to comply with their cybersecurity requirements. You have to be secure. That is an imperative and you can't get around that. Not if you're going to be a dip company. So I mean, from the DOD perspective, which is the one that I tend to have, because that's what I cover, I just thought, I just think the way that she communicates that is really interesting. And it's also refreshing, too, because, like, she understands, like, it's not easy, but she's also good at communicating the sense of urgency that cybersecurity in the DIB especially requires. Our last panel of the event was our fireside chat on evolving cyber priorities, and Kate you had the opportunity to sit down with Anjana Rajan, the Assistant National Cyber Director for Technology Security at the White House. Very big deal. Yeah, so I'm really, really glad that she was able to speak yesterday. One, because it was great timing with the National Cyber Strategy. So that was awesome. Very newsy and pertinent. But also because of her experience as a CTO in the private sector before coming to the White House as a national cyber director as part of that team. And I think that gives her a really unique and valuable perspective of really understanding the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of the technology and understanding how industry thinks about technology and you know what they're prioritizing and what they're what they're concerned with, what their challenges are, blah, 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 while also having this strong like policy perspective, which is something that she talked a little bit about in the fireside chat. But I think that's what makes listening to her talk about these issues so compelling is because like she knows where industry is coming from because she was part of industry and she was, you know, in that CTO role, which is a big part of our audience is CTOs and CIOs. So like she she really understands the issues really deeply and she's translating that knowledge into how to make the environment more secure for everyone. So I thought that was a great way to close out our event is having that perspective. So in terms of major takeaways, she briefly talked about the national cyber strategy and said that the two biggest takeaways, and I agree with her on this point, that the two biggest takeaways for our audience are shifting responsibility for cyber attacks that are due to poorly developed code to the software developers, because 
this idea that small businesses and like schools and local governments and even federal agencies with like small budgets that they should be responsible for cybersecurity when they're being sold faulty or poorly secured products, software products isn't fair. And we need to rebalance who is taking ownership in major cyber attacks such as, you know, solar winds, I think is a big one there. So I thought that was a really interesting takeaway. And that does mark a pretty big policy shift because until now, software developers and generally anything that comes out of Silicon Valley is just like, it's fine. We'll use it. Everyone will use it. And it's like not safe. <laughs> so I think that was a really big, important takeaway from yesterday. But also this idea that we need to have a greater sense of urgency around cybersecurity and we need to be thinking about cybersecurity in the long term, not just in terms of like short term band-aids. We shouldn't be continuing this very chaotic, destructive cycle of like, oh, no, major cyber attack. Federal agencies and companies like lose all this data, pay all these ransoms. And now we're just going to try to keep doing what we were doing and like. Fingers crossed it doesn't happen again, but we kind of know it's going to happen again anyway. It's like, that's not sustainable. And that's not some, that's not an attitude that we should be having. And I think that's a big, that's going to be a big mindset shift for a lot of people, especially when we're talking about like the nexus of government and industry working together, like trying to find a way to, to make that happen in a scalable way, I think is going to be a big challenge in the coming years. So that was interesting, but I also thought it was really interesting to hear from her what she considered to be some of the big drivers of risk in terms of cybersecurity right now, especially from like an open source software perspective. You know, like there aren't very many motivations and or like incentives, especially financial incentives for software developers to prioritize cybersecurity. And that's something where, you know, the DevSecOps movement, I think, can really make a difference. And that's something we cover a lot. So that was kind of cool. It was cool to connect those dots, you know. But also hearing about, you know, the role that cybersecurity and open source software in particular have played in major global events, such as Russia's invasion of Ukraine, getting that perspective and being able to put everything that's going on in cybersecurity into that context to kind of convey this is why this is so important, I think was really well done on her part in that, you know, creating that sense of urgency, like this is important and we've been thinking about it wrong and we need to change the way we think about this and how we go about this. I don't want to say too much more because I want you to go listen to the fireside chat on Cybercast and read my article about it. So I would say that's just your little teaser. Yeah, definitely go and listen to our Cybercast published last week. That is just the audio from the panel, which I think is really great just to have easy access to. So we closed out our event with the first ever Flywheel Awards, recognizing transformers in government. And the ceremony was presented by... <gasps> Yours truly. If you weren't there, you missed a lot of cyber puns and fun facts, which either sounds like a lot of fun or your worst nightmare. We don't have time to get into all of the awards here on the podcast, but I encourage you to check out our website and watch the whole ceremony there, along with the other panel recordings. 
Our next event is Women Tech Leaders in April, which is shaping up to be a truly exceptional event. I know that we are still getting together our panels, but are there any speakers we have confirmed that we want to highlight? I think we only have a few spots left, right? Most of our agenda is confirmed, but I'm looking forward to the drum roll, lightning rounds, a new segment one might call it to our events where we're treating it kind of like if we can as that copyright <laughs> can we say in another podcast if you can't then i will put the um the bleep sound over that and just tell our audience that you were not cursing up a storm but you were referring to something that rhymes with lead stocks yeah i was thinking ned walks Ooh, a lot of good opportunities anyways but yes, they're just quick five minute rounds where different leaders uh, from federal agencies will tell us about projects that they're working on. So we have speakers from FDA, CMS, FBI. So I'm excited to see how that goes. Yes, I think the Women Tech Leaders event series has been a great addition to our events roster and definitely a favor in the company. And it's so exciting that this is our third one and our second in person. So we hope to see all of you there. Make sure you register now at govciomedia.com. But in the meantime, for more insights and deep analysis on everything cyber, subscribe to CyberCast on the podcast platform of your choice. And please, if you like what you heard, leave a five-star review and write us something nice. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new interview. But until then, I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Kate McCree. I'm Sarah Seibert. I'm Anastasia Obis. I'm Nikki Henderson. Thank you for listening. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.